me invite you to turn in your Bibles or your, your telephone or your uh, iPad, whatever device you may be using. Uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, it's towards the very back of your New Testament. One of the latter letters that, uh, that Paul wrote in his life. We're just going to be looking at one verse this morning. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7 in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, if you're a history buff, you know that in, in June of 1940, which was about 75 years ago, uh, France fell to the Nazis. Paris uh, capitulated and uh, the invasion of France was complete. Uh, the Nazis set up a puppet government uh, called the Vichy government. And again, if you're a student of history, you've read something about that. Those were Frenchmen that were placed in positions of authority, uh, but they were complete collaborators with the invading army. So they basically did uh, as their, their Nazi leaders told them to, which included uh, bringing great harm to the uh, French men and women who were of Jewish descent. Uh, in June of 1942, two years after the, uh, the takeover, the Nazis feared that the Vichy uh, government was not being severe enough, and so they demanded a crackdown uh, on all of the Jews in Paris. Some 12,000 men and women and boys and girls of all ages were arrested, uh, many of whom were shipped to Germany never to be seen again. And about the same time that that was taking place, or within a month or two after that, uh, the French uh, Minister of Youth Affairs, the man who was responsible for establishing the French version of the Hitler Youth, was traveling around to a variety of different cities in France, had a large entourage, they all wear their, you know, their, their medals and their uniforms, and they would come to town uh, amongst uh, crowds that had been put together and basically threatened to show up and to cheer and to, and to praise and to be excited about it. And then they would tell them how they were going to introduce uh, this notion, French notion of the Hitler Youth, and this was going to be a great blessing to everyone. Well, when they came to the town of La Chambonne, which is in the southeastern region of France, just across the Italian Alps, uh, they were met not by throngs of people, but only by a handful of people going about their business on the street, basically ignoring them as they drove into town. Uh, they found an elderly woman standing outside the local Protestant church, and they demanded that she ring the church bell in honor of the guests that had just arrived, to which she replied, the church bell rings for God, or it does not ring at all. And then she walked away. Uh, they traveled on to, the, uh, to the, the youth sports stadium, which should hold about 2,000 people, and there uh, were a handful of children milling around, but no one in the stands, uh, no one to, to pay homage to them and to welcome them. And, and the minister was quite upset, uh, even more so when he was approached by a young man who handed him the following note. Mr. Minister, the letter began. We have learned of the frightening scenes which took place three weeks ago in Paris where the French police, on orders of the occupying power, arrested in their homes all the Jewish families in Paris and told them uh, and, and to hold them in the local prison, the name of which I didn't take French in high school. I'm not going to begin to try to pronounce. The fathers were torn from their families, sent to Germany, children torn from their mothers, who underwent the same fate as their husbands. We are afraid that the measures of deportation of the Jews will soon be applied in the southern zone. We feel obliged to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews. 
but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the gospel teaching. If our comrades, whose only fault is to be born in another religion, receive the order to let themselves be deported or even examined, they would disobey the order received, and we would try to hide them as best we could. We have Jews. You're not getting them. How's that for courage? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, hear the word of God. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, which compels us at times to stand in the face of abject evil and to not flinch, to not turn away, to not be worried about ourselves, but love our neighbor just as we would want to be loved in that particular situation. Father, I thank you for the Christians of La Chambon who some 73 years ago made that stand and protected literally hundreds and hundreds of people who otherwise would have been murdered. Father, that's a dramatic story that seems to have very little bearing on our day in and day out life of St. Louis, Missouri. And yet, Lord, there is the challenge to each one of us to not live in fear, but to live in your power, to not be frozen by our circumstances, but rather to be set free by your gospel. So, Father, I pray that as we touch on the subject of fear this morning, we recognize it for what it is. We understand what it isn't, and we learn from your scripture the spirit that you have given us, not just to deal with fear, but in your power to overcome and to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, we are a weak people. We are fragile. We are easily confused and turned in the wrong direction, and fear is a very real part of all of our lives, even if we're not being occupied by a foreign country. So this is a lesson for all of us, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would teach. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to apply to our lives this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence this morning. We're actually going to look at it kind of from the negative side of the coin, although there's a very positive application here. Fear can cripple a disciple's faith if it is not understood in the context of God's promises. This verse is not saying that there is, uh, there's no fear in our lives. This verse is not suggesting that, uh, that anybody that might be afraid from time to time is somehow less of a Christian. It's actually acknowledging the fact that there is fear, and it's giving us an appropriate response. But if we are not careful, it can lead to... Uh, a dismantling of our faith in some respects that can be very harmful to us. Now, you got to understand the context. Let me tell you a little bit about young Timothy, and maybe you know this. Maybe you've studied this passage of Scripture, but if you've never been in this part of the Bible or are not familiar with Timothy, he was a young protege of the Apostle Paul. He was a rising star. Uh, he was the guy kind of coming onto the horizon uh, that was going to take the church into its second 
generation, Paul and the other original apostles being the first generation of pastors and teachers and leaders, and they were as they went about preaching and building churches, looking for young leaders. Paul comes across Timothy, and he spends several years with Timothy, grooming him and preparing him. Now, I would think if you're Timothy and you get to hang out with Paul for a while, that's a pretty cool deal. I mean, here's the guy that, that wrote most of the New Testament. Here's the guy that really has kind of been there, done that. He's had lots and lots and lots of experience in what it means to plant churches and to share the gospel and to see people come to faith and to grow the church. But there came a point where Paul said, now, Timothy, I'm going to keep going over here, but this church right here, it's yours. Have at it. Knock yourself out. I'll write you every once in a while, but go get them. And then Paul takes off. And at that moment, Timothy goes, I don't know that that's exactly the plan I was looking for. Um, what do you mean I'm, I'm by myself? What, what do you mean you're, you're not going to be around as often uh, as I thought you were? And Timothy has a very real challenge on his hands. He's going to be leading a congregation as a very young man. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the first letter Paul wrote Timothy, just one verse very quickly, in chapter 4, verse Timothy, verse 12, Paul acknowledges this challenge, and he says to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Paul knows it's a challenge. He calls Timothy to it, but it's a daunting task. And so naturally, if Timothy was, was any kind of normal guy, which I'm sure he was, he probably went, this is a little scary. <laughs> so think about those moments in your life when that happens. Maybe you've never been the young pastor of a church. Maybe you've never had the first sermon you've ever preached in your life where you just really, really hoped you wouldn't you know, mess it up so badly that nobody came back the next week. But every one of us have been in places of fear. Every one of us have maybe had the, the first time of, of being left alone with the kids and needing to take care of them. Every one of us has maybe had an experience of the first time in a job where you're actually supervising someone else. Or maybe at, at the school you attend, you've been given an extra responsibility and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just not sure that I'm up to it. We've all experienced fear on some level. There are other fears that come into our lives, fears for family members, fears for uh, our, our community, or our country. There are all types of opportunities for fear. So we need to understand, first of all, what Paul isn't saying about fear. Paul is not suggesting that there's no such thing as a healthy fear, all right? If you uh, grew up where I grew up, over on Nurk Avenue on South Kirkwood, the back of our, our property goes up against the Missouri Railroad track. So my parents were wise to tell me when I was a child, and my brother, my sister as well, if you're playing on the railroad tracks, when the train comes by, it's going to be train one, Tom, nothing, right? You going up against the train is a bad equation. Don't play on the railroad track. Now, you know, when you're in kindergarten or first grade, you know, you probably, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but you get into third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, you get a little more mobile, a little more friends in the neighborhood. You kind of wonder how big of a rock could a train really crush when it hit it. I mean, you start to have these thoughts, and you got to get an answer to it. I mean, you got kind of a scientific mind. You want to figure things out, right? But, and you don't have any fear, and your mom and dad are going, you should have fear. You ought to be afraid of that. It could hurt you very badly. You don't pick up a rattlesnake by the tail. It just doesn't make any sense. You should be afraid to do that because it will bite you and you will get swelled up and be in a really bad way, maybe even die. Paul isn't saying there isn't natural fear in this world. Nor is Paul suggesting to Timothy that he abandon what, what the author of Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. Paul is not suggesting that Timothy trivialize 
his relationship with his God. Paul is not for a moment suggesting to Timothy that he can do this on his own strength. He just needs to buck up, needs to study a little bit harder and be a little more prepared to go. That's not in Paul's thought whatsoever. Thirdly, Paul is not suggesting that Timothy or any of us in this room are bad or weak disciples simply because there's fear in our lives. I'm quite certain Paul looked at Timothy and said, I know what that feels like. I remember the first time I, I, I tried to talk to somebody about Jesus and my stomach was shaking and I, I was just, you know, nervous as could be. I remember those early days. Paul's not saying that simply because there's fear in your heart that you are a bad person or, or a weak disciple of Jesus. What Paul is saying is that fear as the primary, mo- primary motivating factor in my life or in your life, whether it's in a particular situation or life in general, is not from God. And it is not how we are called to live as the people of Jesus. If that's the case, if fear is the primary motivating factor, is not to be what drives the decisions in our lives, then how do we address this question? Well, I want to offer two suggestions out of the text this morning. The first is, what is the root of fear? Paul clearly says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. Some of your translations may say, God did not give us a spirit of fear. It's put in the negative. If it's not from God, where does, where does fear come from? Where, how does it creep into my life? And is there any way that I can recognize it for what it really is? Well, the first thing is, as I looked at this, I thought, what is the, the root of fear? Where does it originate? I thought of the fact that it has to do a lot of times, at least in my own life, of my circumstances or, or maybe something that is unknown to me that's maybe out there in the future uh, or something that, uh, something that feels out of my control. Let me give you a biblical example. If you go back to Genesis and you, read, uh, you can read in chapter 15 and following the life of Abraham, one of the things that God says to Abraham one evening is he takes him outside, outside the tent, and he goes, look at those stars up there. Now think about, not like in Kirkwood, but think about like if you've been in the middle of Wyoming, or you, you know, you've been someplace where the middle of the Rocky Mountains where you look up and you could almost grab them. That's what Abraham was looking at, stars upon stars upon stars upon stars. And God said, you know, if you could count all those stars, Abraham, you'd be able to know how many offspring you're going to have, right? And Abraham says, Lord, I'm, I'm a little afraid about that offer because I'm about 75 and my wife's about the same and we don't have any kids yet. And the prospects are not looking real good. The circumstances that fell out of Abraham's control. The fact that God said in the future your descendants are going to be as many as the stars are in the heavens, and and Abraham couldn't get his mind around that. That that makes me a little afraid, Lord. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, it was a great promise, and yet even that great promise held some fear. A couple of weeks ago, I asked our staff, you know, we're excited about uh, our move. You know, we've been talking about the the last two years, our move initiative, moving hearts, moving home, moving beyond. We're getting ready to move home. We're getting ready in October, it looks like, moving to our new building. Everybody's excited. Everybody's really looking forward to it. But I asked the staff a couple weeks ago, I said, okay, I know we're excited, but what scares you? What, what keeps you up at night? What, what makes you a little bit nervous when you think about moving in the new building? And you know what? We had no problem going around our little circle and our little staff and everybody on the tip of their tongue identifying what made them fearful about even something that was really exciting. Even the, the circumstances of our life that could bring joy sometimes are laced with some fear. Beyond just our circumstances, however, we do have an enemy, right? Scripture talks about Satan, the evil one, the devil, our adversary who's out to get us. 
clearly as disciples, if we belong to God through the blood of Jesus, he can't have our souls, but he certainly can wreak havoc in our lives and play a lot of mischief. And Satan you, uh, clearly uses uh, fear to that end. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, Satan actually has this neat little combination of fear and doubt as well. So he says to Eve, did God really say, is God so stingy that you can't eat any of the fruit around here? So there's the doubt, right? Maybe you heard him wrong, Eve. Maybe, maybe you didn't get it quite right. And he tries to give the best answer she can, and then Satan goes on and says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand the character of God like I do. You can't trust him. He's actually withholding something good from you. He's a bad guy. He knows that if you ate that fruit, you'd be just like him. You'd be, you'd be your own God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Eve, you need to be afraid of God, not don't trust God. And he weaves that fear into Eve's mind, and what does she do? She rebels against God. We have to understand that part of our fear is a spiritual battle. It comes from the evil one, and as he seeks to harm our faith. But I think we also must acknowledge, thirdly, that the root of fear is our own hearts. Sometimes it's just, you know, we don't need any help from Satan. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be the circumstances of our lives. Sometimes we're just kind of scared people in general. Uh, I think in the, in the scriptures, the best example of this is Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? You say, what, what are you talking about? Moses is a hero. Moses is like, you know, like, like super Old Testament guy, right? But go back and read Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, where God is spending some considerable amount of time trying to convince Moses that he should go and do this. Right, So he appears to him in a burning bush, appears to him miraculously, says, Moses, I got this great idea. You and me, we're going down to Egypt, and we're getting to all, the, all of our, your fellow countrymen, and we're bringing them out, and we're going to take them to the land that I promised to give to Abraham. Right? And you think Moses will go, well, God, if you're going, I'm with you. This is not a problem, but that's not how Moses reacts. Moses kind of stammers and hems and haws. He says, well, Lord, what if they don't recognize me? What if I'm a stranger to them? You know, I, I've been a long time since I've been in Egypt, and my beard's longer, and I put on a little bit of weight, and I, I don't look like I used to look. They, they're probably not even going to recognize me. And God says, don't worry, I'll, I'll reveal myself to them through you. We're good. Let's get going. He says, well, you know what, Lord, now that I think about it, there is another problem. What, they're, they're not going to believe me. I mean, I've been gone a long time. Who am I? Why would anybody believe, hey, I'm, hey, guess what? I was talking to God the other day at the burning bush, and we're all getting out of here. Pack up. He says, there's no way they're going to believe that message. And God says, I'm going to give you some miraculous signs so that they'll know that you're with me, so that they will believe. And Moses says, you know, Lord, that would really be a good plan, except for one other thing. I'm, I just I can't put two sentences together. I don't talk well. I'm really bad at public speaking, and this seems like a job for a real high-quality public speaker. So, I, you know, I... Uh, you know, maybe I should have gone to Toastmasters. I'm out here watching the sheep. I didn't get a chance to. So, I, you know, I, you better get somebody else. And God says, you know, I thought of that, Moses. And Aaron, as you go down the mountain, you're going to meet Aaron coming up the mountain. He's looking for you, and he's not sure why. But I've sent him on the way, and he'll speak for you. He's, he's been to seminary. He's a good speaker. So, in fact, I'm going to make him a priest one day, but don't tell him that right now because I don't want him to get a big head, right? So he answers every one of Moses' questions. And, you know, Moses' last objection is, Lord, please. Please send somebody else. I mean, he's just, he's out of, he's out of any kind of, anything that seems like logic at all. And what he's saying is, God, I'm just scared, and I don't want to go. Right? Ever had that feeling? Lord, I'm scared. I don't want to go home. My marriage is in a tough spot. Lord, I don't want to go to work today. I, I think the boss may lay me off. God, I, I don't know that I want to talk with my kids about this. This seems awfully difficult. I don't, I don't have the answers that I think they need. Maybe you could just... Get somebody else. And fear ends up being that which cripples us. 
and disables us from trusting God and walking in faith. And you're not alone in your fear, brothers and sisters. We all wrestle with this. This is all something that is very real in each one of our lives. The root of fear, our circumstances, the unknown, our enemy in our own hearts is enough to just kind of stop us in our tracks. So God, knowing that, responds <laughs> appropriately with an overwhelming love and power that only he can give and is the only answer to the root of the problem. A, going to a, a class where you try to feel better about yourself isn't going to help ally your fears. Uh, going, to, you know, going to a class that teaches you to just kind of you know, puff up your chest and, and, and go on and, and be tough and, and try to make it, not going to take away those fears. You're still going to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning staring at the ceiling, wondering how on earth you're going to get by the next day. God's promises are much deeper and much richer. And in just a few words, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Power, what does that look like in our lives? I'm just going to give you a few examples here. And I'm not going to go to any of these passages, but I'm going to mention them. And I'm just kind of, I'm touching the tip of the iceberg to talk about God's power here. But one is the power to share the gospel with others. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to talk to all kinds of people. You're going to talk to famous people. You're going to, you're going to be put in front of kings, and you're going to be put in front of people that will persecute you and, you. and you might be afraid you don't know what to say. Don't worry about that. I'll put the message in your mouth. I'll tell you what to say. Even as a pastor, when I get that, you know, the phone call, somebody says, hey, I've got a friend. You know, I want to say, the connection's breaking up. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And hang up, you know, because I know what's coming up. So I got a friend that has some questions. And clearly, you're the guy with all the answers, right? Okay. Eric, there's that expectation for us, brother. Welcome to the club. Um, you know, you, you'll always know what to say. And I'm thinking, I, okay, I, let's, I guess, right? Still makes me a little bit scared, right? And yet, when I focus on what God has given me in the Holy Spirit, I can, I can go in, into that kind of conversation with confidence because he's the one. It's his power that's going to be working in me. The second is the power to walk by faith through trials. In John chapter 15, Jesus warns his disciples, you're going to go through tough times, but my spirit is a spirit of power that sees you through those moments. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be simple. The Bible doesn't, doesn't look at the world through rose-colored glasses. Scripture deals honestly with the brokenness of this world, but it also deals honestly with the answers to that, which is the power of God, and we can trust Him even in the trials. It's also the power to stand up for the oppressed. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and some of his traveling companions are going through a town where there was a young girl, maybe 14, 13, maybe 15 years old, who's filled with an evil spirit. And she's crying out against Paul and his companions. And she was a slave girl. She wasn't free. She, she didn't control her own destiny. She controlled nothing about her life. Her owners actually used her to be a fortune teller to make money off of her. Other than that, she meant nothing to them. And Paul's walking through town one day, and she's screaming at him, this evil spirit screaming at him. And Paul rebukes the spirit and casts it out. Paul cares for the oppressed through Christ. And he uses the power of Jesus' name. Paul doesn't say, I've had it up to here with you. Now, under my authority, get out of here. Paul says, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Come out of that girl. And the spirit did. And now this slave girl is freed from an evil spirit, but her owners are enraged because now she can't make money for them anymore. That's how they felt about her. <laughs> Those were the oppressors. We've heard a little bit about that in recent Sundays. And yet, God gives us the power to stand up for the oppressed. 
I wish all of you could have been here last night when we had our first race conversation, panel discussion. It was taped, and it, uh, you don't tape stuff anymore. It was recorded, and it's, uh, it's on our website, or it will be on our website this week. It's almost two hours long. You might need to take it in a couple of bite-sized pieces, but you should listen to it because it talks about oppression. It talks about oppression from a very unique perspective in 21st century St. Louis, Missouri, Kirkwood, Missouri. And God is calling us into this conversation. And I will tell you that God is doing more than calling us into this conversation. He's calling us to be an agent for change to help those who are oppressed in our community. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I can tell you that's coming. And it's coming right down the road, right at us. And we embrace it and we welcome it, not with our own courage, but with the courage that God gives us through the power of his Holy Spirit. We can make a difference. We also have the power to follow God in all things. Philippians 4.10, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our focus needs to reshift from our own abilities to the power of the spirit that resides in the living God and is given to the people of Jesus. The second type of spirit that we have, or the second nuance of the Holy Spirit, is that it is a spirit of love. If power is the ability to act, love is the controlling emotion of that action. Let me say that again. If power is the ability to act, love is the controlling emotion of that action. Read 1 John 4, the whole chapter. It's not that long. And John says over and over and over again, this is how we act. We act out of love because God first loved us. We love one another. The power of the gospel is in the message of its love, its forgiveness, its grace, and its mercy. And so every action of my life, Every time the power of God's Spirit is exerted in my life, is it exerted for the good of those around me? I can't abuse others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I'm following Jesus, then the power that resides in me is a life-giving power, not a life-consuming power. The power of Jesus working in me doesn't cause me to be prideful and arrogant and puffed up. It calls me to be humble and a servant and have a supernatural strength to serve someone else, to care for someone else unconditionally. It's what controls my action. The disciple using their power, using the power of the Spirit to love others reflects the character of our Father. What do you think is the most famous verse in the Bible? Doug Herman, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16, thank you. It wasn't a hard question, right? For God loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. God uses his power to bring life because God loves. We need to look in the mirror, brothers and sisters, every day of our lives through that reflection and see what's looking back. But not only the power of the Spirit, not only the love of the Spirit, but thirdly, the self-control of the Spirit. This is a bit of a nuanced word. A lot of times when we think of self-control, we think of self-discipline, and that misses the mark just a bit. So there's a lot of good things about self-discipline. I'm going to go on a diet and not eat candy, and I'm going to lose a little bit of weight, or I'm going to get to the gym a little more often. I'm going to work a little bit harder at things. I'm going to get up a little bit earlier and get after business a little bit quicker. Those are all good things, but that's not the idea here. The idea here is a soundness of mind. It's a, it's a level-headedness. It's a sense of being uh, cool under fire. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, when uh, the disciples are freaking out because the winds and the waves are crashing and, and they're going to drown, right? The boat's going to be swamped there in the middle of the lake. 
and they wake Jesus up because he's asleep. Why is Jesus asleep? Because he's not concerned. Why is he not concerned? Because he knows the power of God, right? It resides within him. And he's able to say, you know what? Be, be, be level-headed here, fellas. It's okay. Where's your faith? We're, we're as safe as we could possibly be. Why? Because we are in the hand of God. And God gives us the opportunity through his power of his spirit to have a soundness of mind when things around us seem unstable. And everybody goes through that from time to time. There are times when you say, you know what, the whole world is falling apart. And yet in that moment, God gives us the power through his spirit to be calm and to be steady and see the world for what it is. Philip uh, Towner put it this way in a quote I read recently. Paul has in mind a measure of control over one's thinking and actions that allows a balanced outlook on any situation. When everything is coming unglued, this quality of level-headedness will keep the Christian focused calmly on the power and the love the Spirit provides, and so make, it makes perseverance in life and ministry possible. This is what God is doing with this spirit of control. He isn't saying you're going to avoid the tough times. He's saying I'm going, to, I'm going to put you through the tough times in a way that allows you to follow me because I'm giving you the power to trust and to follow. Think about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. What was the temptation? The temptation was towards, uh, was towards this uh, notion of self-promotion, right? Satan says to Jesus, you know, throw yourself off the tower of the temple. Don't worry, God will save you because you're the son of God. He takes them, shows them all the kings of the world, says, you can have all this, just bow down and worship me. Promote yourself, Jesus, and Jesus says, no way. Why? Because he had the power of self-control. The spirit of God resting upon him allowed him to turn his back on him. Think about when he was on the cross, and he was tempted with self-preservation. Remember all the, all the hecklers and the mockers? Why don't you come on down if you're the son of God? If you have that much power, save yourself. And you know what Jesus could have said? You know what, guys, I've had about enough. You're right. And he could have, and, and they would have all been wiped out, and you and I would spend eternity in hell as would everybody else in the rest of the history of the world, because that's what we deserve, the wrath of God. And yet Jesus rejected self-promotion. He rejected self-preservation, compelled by the power of the Spirit that controlled his actions and made them actions of love and actions of grace. How do we apply this text this morning? A couple of thoughts here. I think the first is we have to be able to identify our fears. You, you may have fears that I don't have and vice versa. I'm never going to go on a cruise because if the ship goes down, there are sharks in the ocean, and they will eat you, and I will get eaten if that. Or, so I'm just not going. So some of our fears are crazy. Some of our fears are, are that's why I live in Missouri. I'm close to the middle, as far away from any ocean as you can possibly get where I live, right? And they found a shark in the Tennessee River the other day. Did you see that in the news? They're coming for us. I'm telling you, <laughs> stay out of the water, right? So some of us have irrational fears, but all of us have fears that kind of make sense to us. Can you name your fears? Can, can I name my fears? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to go there and sit down, maybe put pencil to paper and say, what exactly is it of which I'm afraid? Can I name them? Can I confess them? But it's not just naming and confessing. Secondly, in application, how do we, how do we not just reject fear, but how do we actually acknowledge our own weakness and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit? I think that's the calling on this passage. What Paul is saying to Timothy is don't, Timothy, don't do this at home, right? It's like the guy in the commercial. Don't try this in your own house. It won't work. It's Timothy, you need another power. You need to be calling out for the power of the Spirit of God. And God gives his gifts freely to his children. God will give us the power, the power, the spirit of, of power and of love, self-control. But it's not just rejecting 
the notion of fear. It's actually acknowledging that we need God's power to overcome. And then my last thought here is that it really is helpful to remember God's past faithfulness. Uh, as we were thinking and talking about moving in the new building and, and some things that were scary, uh, I didn't vocalize at the time, but I was thinking about all the things I've seen over the years at Green Tree that God's done in really miraculous ways. And some of those miracles are, are sitting right here in front of me this morning. God's done pretty cool things at Green Tree that could have never been done. We certainly don't have the wherewithal to do the things that God has done here, but we should remember his path, past faithfulness, which allows us to actively trust him in the moment, right? So let's go back to La Chambon for just a moment. And this little old lady who isn't going to ring the church bell, and this, this town that won't show up, and they won't capitulate, and they, and they won't give in. They're willing to run the risk, right? Well, they were all French Huguenots. I don't know, for some, something like 400 years, these folks and their ancestors before them and their ancestors before them and their ancestors before them were just getting kicked around, <laughs> getting persecuted like crazy. They were used to big bullies coming to town and picking on them. And yet God allowed them to persevere. They were able to look back in their history and say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Our, our forebears believed that, and their faith led them to trust in God and led them to persevere. So what's new and, and different about these guys? Different, different verse of the same song. We have no reason to fear. What we have reason for is to lean into God for a spirit of power, for a spirit of love that puts our, our Jewish neighbors ahead of ourselves and even the strangers that come into our, our gate who are running away from being abused. We have the ability to think calmly in a moment of crisis. We have Jews, you're not getting them. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm not sure what pathway you have Green Tree on that will lead us to that kind of response to fear. And in many ways, Lord, in 21st century America, we, we don't face persecution for our faith in, in any kind of level like that. Maybe more, Lord, it's just being lulled to sleep. And just allowing our fears to, to just slow us down and to keep us from really actively, joyfully following you. But whatever the fear may be, Father, whether it's individual or whether it's corporate as a congregation, we lay it at your feet this morning. We acknowledge we do not have the power to overcome it by ourselves. We will, as weak people, we will let our fears get the better of us. But we don't have to, and so we confess them to you, Father, and we know that as we trust in you, you will give us a spirit of power and love and of sound mind. And it's for that which we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen.